Grace Family Church of Rhode Island presents Word of Hope, a sermon series with Pastor Luciano Cozzi. Have you noticed how sometimes in life we are showered with blessings and together with them we find some adversity, some trials, some things that might be defined as a thorn or a stake, as the Greek word in this passage is, on the fl- in the flesh. Something painful that happens. I remember many years ago as I was facing some problems in my life that I remember reading a promise of Jesus said, if you lose for my namesake, for Christ's sake, if you lose family and friends and possessions, the promise of Jesus was you will receive a hundredfold in this life, eternal life at the end. But then he added something I just could not quite grasp and understand because that statement, that promise says together with tribulation and persecution. And I thought, okay, I understand eternal life at the end. If I sacrifice myself for the sake of Christ right now and I'm I'm a follower of Christ. In Christ, I have eternal life, and that I understand. I understand how Christ might also promise, if you give up your family, friends, and possessions for my name's sake, I'll give you a hundredfold as a compensation. I can understand that too. But what I did not understand is why Christ would add with persecution. And yet, as the years went by, I noticed so many times God's blessings being poured upon us. And yet, almost every time, there was something within those blessings that I would not necessarily, at least not initially, call a blessing. Something that was reminding us or made us make us mindful of that expression, a thorn in the flesh. Why would that be the case? Why that paradox? Why does God give us so many blessings as together with them often? some trials and some difficulties to face. That is an answer that Paul also had to face. And we find the way he was taught, he was instructed, he was spiritually led by God to understand that right here in this passage. The context of this passage is that Paul's opponents at Corinth were evidently being seduced by those individuals who claimed powerful credentials and attacked Paul as being a weakling, someone who didn't have a backbone or much strength. In reply, Paul here in this letter argues that the gospel does not involve strong people doing great things for God, but rather teaches that God does great things through and despite our weaknesses, our afflictions, our limitations. So we find that this is a letter of paradoxes, the paradox that Paul intended to write in this letter was in the answer to his accusers who claimed, hey, you need to listen to us because we have displays of power and great, awesome, wonderful credentials, but Paul doesn't have all that. In fact, he's, he's weak. He has problems and does not seem to deliver as much as we do. I ask myself how, how I would answer such difficulties Would I try to boast myself, or would I rather do like Paul did, boasting my weaknesses and infirmities? 
That may seem like a nonsensical proposition. It may seem like a nonsensical thing to do if, unless we really understand that lesson that we have in here. And if we understand that lesson here, we can answer both questions. Would we, like Paul, boast in our weaknesses and infirmities in front of accusers? And do we understand why God, with the blessing, sometimes allows the trial, the thorn, the difficulty, the challenge to be in there? Not too long ago, I was talking with an individual who, having heard some of the difficulties that we are experiencing now in our soon coming, but I don't know when, move, okay, said, well, don't, Luciano, don't you think that God may be here is telling you that he doesn't want you to move because he's making things difficult? Well, that's a good question, isn't it? Would a difficulty along the path indicate that God doesn't want us to follow through that path when he himself opens so many doors? Or would that difficulty maybe indicating something else? Well, Paul addresses that in his own experience. And I think it's important for us to understand the answer of Paul. Because if we understand that, perhaps we can understand also how God, together with his blessings, with the many different things he places around us to carry his signature, he allows the trial, the difficulty, the thorn in the flesh to be present just as much. So we have paradoxes here. One, let, let me mention three of them. One of them is God permitted Paul to tell us about his infirmities. Think about that. Look at that passage that we just read, those few verses, and you find that God permitted Paul to tell us about his infirmities quite a bit, as in fact, but he did not allow him to tell us anything about the third heaven. Why would God do that? Paul said it's not permitted. But he was permitted to talk about his infirmities. That's strange, isn't it? Another one is that Paul, who had been used by God to heal hundreds and perhaps thousands and thousands of people, had a petition for God, and God says, Nope, that's it. My grace is sufficient. What does that mean? Wouldn't you expect a miracle worker, quote-unquote, like I mean, the miracle work in reality is Christ and is God. But he was performing those miracles through Paul, right? But wouldn't you expect a man of a caliber of the Apostle Paul to have some leverage on God? To be able to petition God for a blessing or a request and God having been inclined to say, Oh, yes, Paul, you have prayed so many times on behalf of other people and I've listened to you. Now you pray once on behalf of yourself and I'll listen to you as well. But strangely, God said, nah, no, my grace is sufficient. The other paradox is quite evident, isn't it? The statement of Paul contains that paradox when Paul says, when I am weak, then I am strong. And here I see people scratching their heads and shaking their heads and saying, okay, what, what in that world does that mean? Where, when I am weak, I am strong. Let's begin looking at this passage and try to understand what the lesson in this passage is for us as well as it was for the Apostle Paul. Let's look at the first paradox. Paul was caught up to the third heaven and saw unspeakable visions and revelations about the presence of God in the third heaven. How do we know that it's Paul that is speaking here? Well, look at the context and it becomes very, very clear. 
There's a statement that Paul makes in there that indicates that he was the one doing that. But he doesn't want to take credit for that. And we'll see in just a moment the reason for that. Again, God does not want Paul to boast for those special revelations. God wants Paul to boast for his infirmities and weakness. A man with that spiritual experience... A man who had been granted by God the privilege of being, whether in body or in spirit, we have no idea, not even he knew. But a man who had been given by God the spiritual privilege of taking a glimpse in the third heaven, you would say they would have a little clout with God? That he would have the right to boast? And yet he was not permitted to talk about it. He was only permitted to speak about, speak about his weaknesses. And what a contrast with so many people who claim to have had supernatural experiences or visions or revelations of heaven and boast about them and, and want to tell everybody about these things. And they feel that they have a special link with God because of those things. They are their spe his special messengers. What a contrast with that. Paul did not want to be credible he himself provides in a passage the answer to this first paradox. Paul did not want to be credible in view of that kind of experience. He did not want his credibility to be founded or based on such a superior level of spirituality or experiences. He wanted to be credible for what he was preaching and teaching among the people. And by doing this, he was creating a contrast between the other people who were accusing him, who were boasting themselves of spiritual greatness and majesty and, and all credentials and, and fame and, and glory and all these things. And he was now presenting himself with all these weaknesses and infirmities and limitations and saying, I could boast in such a man as the one who was sticking up to the third heaven. But I'd rather not. I would rather boast, I would rather be acknowledged, I would rather be receiving my credentials by what I taught you. Did I teach you the right gospel? Did I teach you the right things? You judge. You evaluate if what I taught you was Christ or something else. And I think that's a point that it bears for us to, to think about. The contrast of the unspeakable experiences and vision and revelations of the third heaven and the daily experiences of the spiritual power of Christ in our infirmities is quite evident in there. And the fact that God wants us to focus on Christ's intervention in our daily experiences rather than on the awesome and majestic visions of the third heaven is also evident. But why would that be the case? Why would God want us to see Christ at work in our everyday life? Well, one of the reasons, I think, is that if we could give, if we could receive that, that glimpse, if we could take a look at the third heaven, we would probably be so engulfed by that that we would no longer care about the things of this life. And chances are we would be so immersed in thinking about that and meditating on that and wanting more of that that we would no longer be ministering for Christ in this world. Rather, what God wants us to, to see is the intervention of Jesus Christ in your life, in my life, in our life, every single day. After such visions, after super, such super spiritual revelations, Paul had a need 
And the need that Paul had is that something within him would prevent pride and an attitude of being a super spiritual individual. Now, why would Paul need that? Well, first of all, those type of revelations would tend to boast the mind of anyone. Second, Paul was notorious to be a self-sufficient man. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He's a man with a great deal of legalistic background and, and the cream of a crop of the Pharisees. So the natural tendency of this man would be to continue to be self-sufficient. But he had to learn a vital lesson that is opposite to his own nature. God wants us to know that something much better is coming. But both in this case, as well as in Revelation, he closes the lips. He zips up the lips of those people that saw those things. And it, they, God does not allow them to tell us. Like the Apostle Paul says somewhere else, we are to lean forward toward that future, toward that glory that God has placed before us. But as we lean forward toward that, we are not to be so intent in gazing those promises that we would forget what we are called to do here and now. We will forget to extend our hand and take the hand of a brother or a potential brother in Christ and bring them on board as well so they can make it there too. The time will come when all the things that are past will be forgotten, but that time is not here yet. The need was for Paul to continue to focus on the things of this earth as well, without losing sight of a goal, but to continue to carry on the work of God on this earth. Elsewhere, Paul said, it would be much more convenient for me to be finished with my life and to be in Christ. But notice what he said. If for your sake... It is good for me to continue in this ministry until it is accomplished. The means of obtaining that, that, of filling that need that Paul had, and the need of preventing pride and an attitude of superiority, was what he defined as the thorn in the flesh, or as he would read in the Greek, the stake in the flesh, the plank in the flesh. The nature of that thorn or stake piece of sharp something that penetrates into the flesh is unknown. And that's the reason why it is unknown is because it was not said. It was never explained what it was. Paul never told us, never wrote it to anybody or shared with anyone uh, in writing so that we would receive it today. And of course, like everything else where there is no revelation, there is speculation, right? When God does not reveal, people speculate. If God ever says, don't look into this, you're going to have stacks of books looking into that and trying to double-guess why God says, don't look into it. And so again, we find much speculation in terms of what that thorn in the flesh might be. Some claimed, in fact, one preacher in Scotland claimed it was his wife, meaning Paul's wife. Now, if you understood the preacher's wife, you may be having a point there. Maybe the preacher had such a problem with his wife that he was moved to say that the thorn and the flesh of the Apostle Paul was his wife. I don't think so, because you look at the way the compassionate heart that Paul had, and he would never say something like that. Besides, history tells us that most likely his wife was already dead by that time, and he did not want to remarry as he encouraged other people not to marry in persecutions, in trials, because of the suffering that he was supposed to and he was going to suffer for Christ's sake. Remember when he was blind and then he was healed and God told him, go to this person and I'm going to show you how much you suffer for my namesake? 
that is an indication that the life of Paul as an apostle was not going to be easy. So chances are he did not remarry. But beyond, beyond the, the, the wild speculations like that, there are some that had a little more of a credibility. Some claim, for instance, that it was someone else persecuting him, but that's not likely for various reasons, and in particular for the Greek wording specifying in the flesh. That thorn in the flesh, in the Greek means in the flesh, meaning penetrating, poking in the flesh. That means there is something within him, inside him, in his body that was creating a problem. And so that scholars, some have come up with the idea, the other ones debated and said, nah, it doesn't fit the text and it doesn't work with that. Some claim that it was a temptation. And it's not likely since Paul would not be likely to embrace his temptations and be content with them, like a statement in this passage says. Uh, some claim that it was some sin that was haunting him from the past, and that also is not likely because he will never boast in the sin as he stated. He will boast in his affliction, that thorn. Others claimed that it was a physical ailment, a bodily pain, something debilitating. And that is possible, perhaps it's a more, more likely, more plausible explanation in view of the fact that in consideration of the fact that Paul himself makes several other statements in other letters in that regard, uh, like in Galatians, where he talks about his affliction having been a tool for him to be able to preach the gospel to the Galatians. And in another place in the Galatians where he says that they would have been willing to pluck out their eyes and give them to him, with the implication being is that he might have had some problems with his vision. Uh, in another letter, it says, look with what, such big letters I'm writing to you, indicating a possibility that indeed he might have had some vision problem and therefore may need, have needed to write in big letters. But the fact is, we just don't know. All right, so when the, all the speculations are spent, when all the books have been written, when all the pages have been read, the fact remains, we just don't know. And there is no way for us to really know for sure. So why the ambiguity? Why would God allow Paul to say certain things and yet refrain him from stating two, at least two facts in here? What he saw in the third heaven and what in the world he meant with a thorn in the flesh. I think the reason is that God wanted that statement to be ambiguous. And why would God want the statement to be ambiguous is because you and I can now identify in his thorn as well as in the theological lessons that came from it. In other words, you look at your own trials, you look at your own difficulties, whether there's health or other things that are like a thorn in your flesh, and you look at what Paul learned from that, and you can identify yourself in him, with him, in the suffering, as well as with him in the lessons that God taught him through it. And I think that if it wasn't as ambiguous, chances are we will not identify with Paul. Let us assume for a second, for the sake of speculation, that Paul had a problem with his vision. I had friends who were blind, and yet I was amazed at what God was able to do with them, even despite their difficulties and their challenges. But I'm not blind, and I can't really relate that much to that. So if God allowed us to know specifically what it would be, maybe a few people would relate to it, but most of us wouldn't. However, because God left it so ambiguous, I can see a number of thorns in my flesh that I experienced through my life that I could relate to. 
And I can look at them and look at my trials and difficulties and, and, and learn about them from the lesson of the Apostle Paul. And so, you, and so can you. Even though our trials are so different from one another, we can still identify in him and learn from those lessons. All right, so we have the need. Paul needed to be kept humble. The means of fulfilling that need, the thorn in the flesh, that we can relate to. And now we have Paul's human desire to find relief, deliverance, rescue from it. You know, if you have a real thorn in your flesh, the first thing you want to do is to get it out. You want that pain to go away. Just not too long ago, I talked to a very young person about a health issue that that individual found out that he has. A health issue that may jeopardize his future completely, the rest of his life. And that person looked at me and says, I'm so young, I still have most of my life ahead of me. And I said, yeah, I know, and I understand, and it's difficult. And the thing you would rather have more than anything else is to get rid of the problem, have God remove everything, and be free from it. And yet, sometimes, God says, no, my grace is sufficient. Paul wanted to have that removed because he believed, he sensed, he felt it would be a hindrance to the gospel and how wrong he was. Think about that. If God had satisfied that desire, the human tendency, the human desire of Paul to, to get rid of his thorn in the flesh, what would have happened? Well, Paul would probably have forgotten about this event or those problems in a very short period of time and perhaps he would have been proud, self-exalted and not quite able to spread the gospel as he actually was in his infirmities. Very few people are able to value the onset of something unpleasant or difficult. All we see is the unpleasantness, the pain, the difficulty. It's only only in retrospect, only as we look back after a long time, most likely, some, oftentimes it takes a while, but only when we look back in retrospect that we can value and understand why God said and did the things that he did and said. I remember one time I was very sick. The doctor came to see me and he told my neighbors, my parents weren't around, we were in a, in a, I was in a different place and I had some neighbors that had got, were really frightened Later I found out that the reason why they were so frightened is because this, their son died of the same problem that I had. They saw him die in their hands, and now I was right there replaying a deja vu for them. The doctor came in and said, you've got to take him to the hospital immediately or he's not going to make it. Well, yes, I did make it to the hospital, and they did insist in keeping me under observation, but I walked out on my own feet the next day, having absolutely nothing. I have a certificate for a doctor that says I had to be taken to the hospital because otherwise I wouldn't have made it. And I have another certificate from a doctor at the hospital saying I had absolutely nothing. And twice God dealt with me like that. But one time I remember he said no. And I went through a crisis. And I said, why? Why did he answer before and why is he not answering now? What's wrong with me? Is my faith not big enough? Is there an issue with my, my relationship with him? And I said, no, I have just, in fact, I have more faith now than I did before because now I can even relate to the fact that God has come to my rescue. And I can trust him even more so than I did back then. But that was not the issue. 
It was only after six months into my one-year rehab that I began to understand I needed patience more than healing. And God was providing me with a plenty, plenty of opportunities to be patient. God sometimes says yes, yes, but sometimes he says no because of more important things that we need to learn. What is your thorn? I told you about mine. I had a few of them. A couple of them were, were removed by God, but there were a few that were left in there. That one I was referring to, that God decided to say no to my request for healing after he had removed two of them before, that one thorn God says no. And still today I'm feeling the results of that. Can you name a couple of your thorns? Can you name a couple of things you wish you didn't have in your life or in your body that you do need to cope and you need to put up with it? And perhaps you, you ask God, God, please remove my problem in what? In my bones, in my muscles, in my eyes, in my voice. So Paul re Paul's response was, no, no, I'm not going to remove that thorn from your flesh. I'm not going to remove that problem that is buffeting you. But a greater miracle occurred. And that miracle that occurred, that it was much greater, is that not only God kept Paul humble, but God used that weakness. God used Paul's own infirmities as a powerful tool to preach the gospel. Paul himself, as he writes to the Galatians, he says, it's because of my infirmities that I had the opportunity to preach the gospel to you. Brethren, we wouldn't have a letter to the Galatians if it wasn't for Paul's infirmities. We wouldn't have a Galatian church if it wasn't for his infirmities. No quick fix was going to be granted to the, to the Apostle Paul, and yet the prayer was answered. But the answer was, my grace is sufficient. And that is what we need to think about. Why was that answer much greater than a quick fix of a healing that God could have provided? Because God completely defeats the pride in Paul and makes him totally dependent on him, on Jesus Christ, rather than on himself. And because Paul received the grace that, needed, that he needed to bear with that affliction, not only that, but the grace that he could now demonstrate, Christ's own grace, the grace of God. Notice, my grace is sufficient. It wasn't Paul's grace, it was God's grace that was sufficient. And that grace is what Paul was now able to manifest through his difficulties, through his trials, through his infirmity, to the people that were observing him and watching him. Someone told me, you cannot tell a great man by how many trials he has avoided. You can tell a great man by how he goes through the trials he didn't avoid. Likewise, you can't tell a Christian by how smoothly he cruises down the path of life. But you can't tell a Christian by how he faces the sharp turns, by how he faces the difficult times, but how he faces the weaknesses and the calling of God to continue running when he's tired, when he wants to give up, when she feels like nothing that she does counts for anybody or anything. And God says, keep going, keep going for me. Finally, I would like to look at the reason. And I think we, we have enough elements then to draw the lesson from it. And the reason for that, I think, is explained in that word torment. 
that is used in that passage. That expression, the torment, that God allowed his thorn to torment Paul, indicates that whatever that was, it was persistent, it was humiliating. It was the same word used for the abuse of Jesus in his passion in Matthew 26. And that was relentless beating, relentless pain inflicted on Jesus. The same Greek word, persistent, humiliating, afflicting. There may be a connection here between the sufferings of Paul and the sufferings of Christ. And that may be why Paul used the same term, the Greek term that was used to describe the passion of Jesus and the abuse that he suffered. Perhaps to remind us that we are called to be willing to share in his sufferings if we want to share in his glory, which Paul was inspired to write elsewhere. Whatever he sent to torment, Paul is transformed by God to an opportun- into an opportunity to proclaim God's power and grace. And it's very similar in that to the story of Job. God permits Satan to afflict the apostle, but then he turns the stricken Paul into an ever greater instrument of his power. He takes what Paul intended to disrupt the gospel and it causes it to be a reason for the gospel to go further. A tool. A proud and arrogant Paul would only have hindered the advancement of the gospel. On the other hand, a humiliated and frail Paul led as a captive in God's triumph, accelerated the progress of the gospel everywhere. And still today, the gospel is preached in terms of that. And we find letters that God inspired to be preserved for us, in which Paul boasts not in his strengths, but in his weaknesses. My strength is made perfect in weakness. If you look at Paul's ministry and what he was exposed to, you might easily conclude that he must have had at her- Herculean strength. He must have been a very, very strong individual, maybe a very Spartan individual, able to endure all sorts of afflictions. You would probably picture in your mind a very strong, big, tall, athletic man able to withstand all the beating, all the problems, all the shipwrecks, and all the other things that Paul had to go through. But that's not the point. When you see the frail little Paul with that thorn in the flesh, whatever that was, whether it was in his eyesight or an illness or some other sort, I don't know what it is and we don't know, but whatever it was, it was impeding, oftentimes, his progress showing and humiliating him because he was showing to the others his weakness. And yet you see this weakling endure stuff that even a big, huge, athletic man could not endure. And people would look at that and say, wow, how in their world can that ever be possible? And you see the opportunity for the gospel. It's not my strength. It's by the glory of God. It's by the grace of God because his grace is sufficient. All I need is the grace of God in my life, and I can put up with anything. I can endure suffering. I can endure loneliness. I can endure illness. I can endure death if the grace of God is with me. I can endure all things in life. That was the message. And Paul then would glory in his infirmities, not because he was a masochist or anything like that, but because he knew, he understood, after some time, he understood that it's through his infirmities that the glory of God and the strength of the power of Jesus Christ would be manifest. Think about what you have written on the bottom of your bulletin as a quote from Martin Luther that kind of sums up and, and summarizes perhaps the entire concept in here. This life is not righteousness, but growth in righteousness, not health, but healing. 
not being but becoming, no rest but exercise. We are not yet what we shall be, but we're growing toward it. The process is not yet finished, but it is going on. This is not the end of a road, and it does not yet gleam in glory, but all is being purified. You see, it is only a weakness or a weak man or a weak person in such circumstances that can show that the glory of God is really transpiring through. Because if we were to boast in our strength, in our power, then we would just glorify ourselves. It would be almost as if we had already attained the end result, the glory that God has promised to us. But we are not there yet, are we? Spiritual blessings are more important than physical ones. That is the lesson that we can draw from that. They're so much more important because they are eternal. Physical blessings? Well, look, Lazarus was restored from death. What greater miracle can you expect? I can name it one greater miracle. It's the grace of God is all sufficient. Because the grace of God is giving Lazarus eternal life. But that miracle, that powerful miracle, gave him a temporary life, and Lazarus died after that. An answered prayer does not always mean that the need is not met. That's another lesson we can draw from that. Sometimes we get a greater blessing when God says no to our prayers than we would if God said yes. Most times, I might confess that my prayers are not quite what God would want me to pray. And when he says no, Luciano, I'm not going to do the things the way you want. I have learned to say praise God, thank you because I probably would be making a mess. But it is his glory and the fact that when he says no to us, things work out for the best. God always answers the need, even though it seems like he's not answering the prayer. Sometimes by saying no to the prayer, it's his way of fulfilling and meeting the need that we have. Weakness is strength if Christ is in it. That's the other lesson we can draw from this passage. Weakness is actually an awesome strength if Christ is in it. I'll never forget what one of my colleagues told me about his eight-year-old son who had been in hospitals most of his life because of a heart defect. And he wasn't sure where he was even going to be able to grow up to being a teenager, an adolescent. And yet, he had turned so many people to Christ through his stay in the hospital. This eight-year-old kid, in his infirmity, was able to turn doctors and nursing to, nurses to Christ through his example of how he handled the infirmity. He got their attention, and then he would tell them, His grace is all I need. And they would want to know more. In Corinthians chapter 1, and verses 26 to 31, is written something very important about all of you and me. And that's something very important. So God did not call many wise people according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble people, not many great ones. And I look at myself and I say, you're right. And I hope you look at yourself and you say, you're right. But I hope we also look at it in such a way that we'll give glory to God because even though he has called the weaklings of this world, the small ones of this world, he's doing mighty works through them. And that passage in 1 Corinthians concludes by saying, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Not in his own might, but in the fact that God and his grace is sufficient. David was sent against Goliath with what? 
Oh, the big army of Israel couldn't stand it. The big weapons couldn't do it. So God sent a very small shepherd. He was so small that when his brother gave him his armor, he couldn't even move in it. So he had to get out of it and and say, I'll just go the, the way I am. With what? With one sling and a few pebbles. Five little rounded stones. And one of those little pebbles defeated a giant in the enemy army. And so the people of Israel said, oh, wow, the mighty of David? No, he said the mighty of God. Look at the deliverance that God has provided for us. Moses' rod. What was the Moses' rod? How many miracles were performed by the rod of Moses? How many signs and wonders were performed through that rod? And yet what was it? Just a stick that he found on the ground. Totally worthless. Nothing special. But in the hands of Christ, it becomes very powerful. So are we nothing particular, nothing special, but in the hands of Christ, we become a very powerful tool. And mighty works are done and accomplished through us. It is important to observe that Paul's thorn was evil, not neutral. Paul defined it as such. And yet God turned that evil into a good into an opportunity for the gospel. So the bottom line is there is grace to meet every need. God enabled Paul to accept his weakness and to glory in it, to place his pleasure in it, in fact, because he knew that his weakness would bring glory to Christ, and that is all that he mattered. His grace was sufficient. God has given us the same. We have great blessings from him, and at the same time, we also have some thorns here and there so that the glory can be given to Christ, so that his power may be manifest through our weakness, through our shortcomings, through our limitations. And here he's not talking about the sin limitations. He's not talking about the afflictions that we call upon ourselves because of sin. He's talking about the limitations and the afflictions that we face for the sake of Christ that can be used for his glory. So next time we look at our blessings... And we see a thorn in that. Let us praise God for it. Because one, he keeps us humble through that. And two, it is through that thorn, not through the mighty blessings, that he will reveal his glory. And he reveals the awesome truth that his grace is sufficient for us. And it will be sufficient for the people that we are touching through that as well. I'll conclude with a final comment that I heard right in this room one day. I remember I gave what I thought was the worst sermon in my whole career that day. Sorry, people. I stumbled. I I made a mess. My thoughts got all tangled up, even worse than today, in fact. And at the end, I felt a little discouraged. And this person came up to me and said, you know, by the way, this person was a guest. And says, I think I'm going to come back here. And I said, oh? And he said, because you made so many mistakes, they make me feel at home. If God can work through you, he can work through me. Isn't that what the Apostle Paul said? If God can do this through me, the least of the apostles, the one who used to persecute the Christians, how much can he do through you? Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your grace is indeed an all-sufficient grace. You strengthen us when we are weak. But your strength is not necessarily a physical strength as we would expect. It is a spiritual strength that brings glory to your name and an eternal reward 
for all of us. Father in heaven, you created us physical, and you started in us a physical life that is bound to deteriorate. And the more we experience that, the more we are aware of different thorns in our own flesh. Please, eternal God, give us the heart of Paul, a heart that was able to recognize and see that your grace is all-sufficient indeed, a heart that was able to accept his limitations and trials and his thorns in the flesh and actually re regard them as a blessing, as an opportunity to share your gospel, to show and demonstrate the power of your grace. We ask you, Father, that you would use us in a similar way. We thank you, Father, for the strength you give us, but we also thank you for the weaknesses that we have. So bring glory to your name, and may your will be done. We praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.